Right to be Read podcast, episode number 41. Interview with Bruce Van Hearn. You are listening to the Right to be Read podcast, and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Right to be Read podcast, the podcast for writers, which hopefully inspires and encourages them. I'm your host, Annie Alexander, and I'm really happy that you're listening to me right now. Today, I would like, first of all, to start with telling what I've been doing most of the day. And what I've been doing was I've created a special ebook for you, which I'm giving out for free. And uh, it's an ebook which will help you reach the next stage of your exciting journey of becoming author. So this ebook is meant to um, help you get clear picture of what to do with your book manuscript. It will hopefully help you understand the decisions you need to make before you publish, and. It will help you make sure that you don't miss anything important before the launch. So stop losing time, share your story with the world, uh, get the ebook which will help you out um, at the www.annialexander.com slash free. So www.annialexander.com slash free. And now we go to the interview, which is one of the longest interviews I've done so far. Uh, To be honest, I've been thinking about editing it and making it shorter, but it was very difficult to choose which parts should go out because I truly believe that my guest has been telling a very valuable things. Uh, today I'm talking to Bruce Van Horn. He's dad, a writer, a coach, an entrepreneur, a speaker, a runner, and a lot of other things. So his personal motto is life is a marathon, so let's train for it. And today we're going to talk and see what he's going to train us for. Hello, Bruce, and welcome to the show. Hi, Annie. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's, it's, I have loved your show and I'm honored that you asked me to, to come on and speak with you. So thank you. Oh, I'm honored as well. So it's just, um, I, I'll just start with the backstory and I'll tell uh, why exactly I like uh, social media because I end up meeting people like you whom otherwise I wouldn't meet. So we met on Twitter and kind of, you know, there are so many people different people all around the social media and so many people who kind of and you don't know a lot about those people so you usually see their profile picture and a little bit of what was written you know by them so uh, but amazing thing is that you know people either click or they don't right and when you click you end up with the good quality relationships and you know positive uh, kind of um, messaging to each other and it it somehow i mean although it it it's like you know person you don't personally know but it it kind of creates something i don't know whether it's a virtual illusion or whatever it is yeah, but it's yeah. <laughs> it's it's very pleasant so we met on twitter yeah. Yeah, I was just saying you're absolutely right. The uh, you know there there's a lot of people out there that you know you just you see whatever they're doing on social media and you you pretty much immediately know no that's not for me or hmm, that's that's interesting. I'm going to follow this person a little bit more closely and and see if uh, see if it works out. And then yeah, you know, like like you and I, we just started following each other and I love your content and and you liked what I was doing and and so it really does grow and I've made so many um you know like we haven't met face to face but but like you I mean if if our paths were to cross and we met each other physically I'd I'd give you a big hug and it would be just like we'd been friends all our lives and you know and I'm loving social media for that aspect yeah, that's that's just you know very very interesting. This point is very interesting because sometimes uh, even in real life people can't really connect that fast. So so we met on Twitter, we connected together, we followed each other, and I also heard few of your podcast episodes because I forgot to mention that you're a podcaster as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so during one of the episodes, I kind of uh, I think it was the introduction of the podcast and what it would be 
be about, etc. So you you shared a bit about your life and how did you end up doing what you're doing. Will you share that with my listeners as well? Sure. Yeah, my my story is is something that I, I well, it's my story, so I I love talking about it and and as you and I sort of talked about before we started the show, I think every every writer, everybody who has, well, first of all, I think everybody on the planet has a message. They have their own story, but they don't tell their story because they are convinced, you know, through their, you know, through their own self-talk, their limiting beliefs, that nobody is going to care. And sometimes that comes from other people who, you know, outright tell us, you know, don't waste your time there. Nobody cares about you or your story. And that's that's really hurtful. But, um, you know, so so I think that everybody struggles with that. And, and mine, mine ultimately is the same way, um, at least within the last couple years, I've, I've overcome that. When I was probably about the age, certainly by the age that my oldest son is now, 17, but probably around the time I was 13 or 14, I just fell in love with books. And I loved reading. I loved novels. And I just really wanted to be a writer. I felt like I had stories inside me. And so I, you know, I... I wrote a lot throughout high school, and I went to college and studied um, writing. I got a degree in English creative writing and English literature, so I, I just immersed myself in the world of books. And of course, there's a, there's a whole lot of other backstory going on there. I, I was a very small person physically, so I didn't have you know girls flocking all over me. I wasn't a great <laughs> athlete then, and, and so I think I, I I think I did a fair amount of hiding inside books and inside my own writing too. And I know that's that's probably a fairly common story among writers that uh, it was it was a safe place for me to explore my imagination in the world rather than being out in, in the real world. But you know, I did something that so many people do. I, I won actually a lot of very uh, nice somewhat prestigious awards for writing when I was in college and really thought that that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life. It, it was where my passion was. But when I graduated from, from college, I got a job <laughs> and, you know, I, I set about making money and providing um, for what would become my family. I got, I got married and started having kids and, you know, 25 years later, realized that I had completely forgotten my dream. I had completely forgotten that I even wanted to be a writer. I just got caught up in the day-to-day -day aspects of living. And through a lot of different circumstances in my own life. I, I, I also have an entrepreneurial bug. And so I started a few businesses and Two of them went under. I wound up filing bankruptcy, which is a, a huge blow to anybody's um, self-image and, and self-worth. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so I was feeling bad about life. I had a lot of um, painful things in, in relationships. I, I had a, also had a daughter who passed away, who was, the, and the, you know, so I, I spiraled into this world of negative thinking that bad things were always going to happen to me. And by the time I was 42 years old, I literally hated my life. I was just going through the motions. I had a, uh, a six-year-old and a brand new baby. Um, so my two boys are, are six years apart. We had a, our daughter was in between the two of them. Um, but I was, I was just not enjoying my life. Every day I was getting up and sort of dreading, you know, what would happen today. And for me, the, the highlights of my day was going to bed at the end of the day so I could fall asleep. And, you know, so you just get caught up in this rat race of forgetting what your dreams are about. You're, you're not planning for the future. You're just reacting to the way life is coming at you. And because you're sort of expecting the, the worst things to happen that that ultimately is what you wind up attracting 
into your life. I wasn't aware of all of that then, but I look back and I realize that because of the beliefs that I had, the way I showed up in the world, the way I, I interacted with other people, sort of expecting the worst from them, you know, pe- people will, will sort of deliver to you what you expect from them mm-hmm. has, has been my experience. Mm-hmm. And and I expected the worst from myself and I expected the worst from others because that's what I was getting for a while. And it just does become this self-fulfilling prophecy. And then my world changed. In uh, 2005, I was 42 years old and my older brother came to, to our town. I, I live in Richmond, Virginia, on the east coast of the United States. And my older brother, who's 16 months older than I am, he came to town to run our local marathon. And he, we went down to, to watch him run, and that was a lot of fun. I was an athlete, and I, I wasn't ever good at it, which I, I mentioned just a bit ago. But I was on the cross-country team of our high school, and that was about it. I, I liked to play um, you know, what we call soccer here in the United States, what you call football mm-hmm. over in Europe. So I, I was fairly – I, I thought I was pretty good at it, but you know, certainly not enough to go on and play it in – college. So I just gave up all athletics altogether. And so at at 42, I was overweight. I was out of shape. I was really struggling to keep up with my six-year-old when we would go to ride bikes or just play in the yard. And so my brother, when he came to town, he said, uh, you should really do this. You should run. You should start marathon running. And I, I literally laughed at him. And I said, no way. You know, first of all, I, I don't even like driving 26 miles or, or 42 kilometers, you know, let alone run. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, every, everything that I want is within a five-mile radius of my house. Mm-hmm. All the restaurants I like to eat in, all the shopping that I need, no. So, But he, he said, you know, it's actually a lot easier than you think it is. The hardest thing about running a marathon is making the decision to at least try it. Mm-hmm. and. And I didn't believe that, first of all, but over the next weeks, that thought kept me up at night. It really did. And so I decided, well, if my older brother can run marathons, then I can at least join a local gym. It was winter, so I had no desire to run outside where it was cold. (laughs) So I decided to join a local gym and get on the treadmill and start at least to get in shape so I can keep up with my boys. And so I did that. And it was an absolutely miserable experience. <laughs> <laughs> I did not like it at all. I, I thought that, you know, I would just be able to hop on a treadmill and start jogging and, and keeping up with all of the the very physically fit people who were also at the gym. Uh, and it just didn't work out that way. I think it was almost a month before I was able to finally jog a mile on a treadmill without walking. But but I did keep going. I, I, there was something inside me that said, if you just keep going, this will eventually get easier like your brother said it would. And that you have to make the decision every day to do something to, to improve yourself. And so right then I was interested in, in improving myself physically. And then I was able to run one mile without walking. And that was such a huge victory to me. It for a lot of people who, you know, and even even myself now, as I look back on, it, I think, really, one mile, what's the big deal? But I remember that that feeling of vic, you know, of being victorious, having achieved something that I, I didn't just previously, you know, a short time ago think was possible. And I think it was literally one week later, I was able to run two miles without walking. And then I was able to run three miles. And by then it was getting a little warmer outside. And so I entered in a local 5K. And so I ran in that. And then by, by this time, I have the running bug. And less than one year later, my brother came back to town to run that very same marathon. And I ran the marathon with him and I beat him. Wow. And, <laughs> and, and so I was just very, very excited about that. But it wasn't really about what happened to me physically. It was during the training for running a marathon that my entire mind sh- mindset shifted. 
my entire belief system and who I was and what I was capable of completely changed. And while I was living my life up to that point in such a way that I was only reacting to what life threw at me. And so I I often use the analogy that I was like this 150-pound weakling in a boxing ring with a world-class boxer. And, And life was just beating on me. And I wasn't able to to look up and be strategic about anything in my life. I, I may have been throwing a puncher here too, but it was more defensive than it was offensive. Mm-hmm. And so running a marathon and, and training for that made me realize that there are – well, there, there are always going to be things in our lives, Annie, that we, we cannot control. That's, there's no way around that. Life happens and there's a lot of things that we cannot control. But one of the things that we are absolutely always in control of, regardless of the situation, is our attitude. And there are a lot of things in our lives that we can control. We can, for, for most of us, unless you have you know, some kind of you know, physical disability or, you know, or some kind of medical condition, you know, almost everybody on the planet can take control of their physical fitness and their health if they choose to do so. And so I started recognizing these areas of my life and I said, well, if this worked for marathon training, I wonder if it can work in my finances. And then I wonder if it can work in my relationships and being intentional about the things that I do and starting to be much more proactive rather than reactive in the areas of my life. And so I I devoured all these self-help personal development books. And so I I really set myself on this journey of, of training my mind just like I trained my body and completely really transformed who I was or who I thought I was and, and what I think about other people and what I think about the world in which I live really went, went through a complete rebirth. And then I, I, I realized, oh my goodness, do you remember that 25 years ago you wanted to be a writer? And of course, all the self-doubt started to creep back in. And I'm thinking, you know, what? I don't know that I even have any stories left in me to tell but I do have my my personal story. Um, I, I know that I've I'm a different person. Maybe I'll start writing about that. And so I, I decided I would start a blog. And so I purchased the domain BruceVanHorn.com, and I I set up. I, I think I started on Google's um, Blogger.com platform, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and that was fine for a while. And I, I think my mother was the only one who read my blog for like the first <laughs> three months. But then, you know, I I just started writing about my life and the struggles that I had gone through and some of the things that I was doing to to try to change myself and to try to change the way I interact with my family and with my friends and my coworkers. And when I started to do that, and I, I think it was the expression of my own vulnerability, I knew that I couldn't come out and start writing about personal development because I was still very much in the de- developmental mode. So I didn't want to even attempt to come off as an expert because I didn't think of myself as that. But I started writing about my vulnerabilities. And I started just being very open and honest on my, on my blog. And it really started to catch on. So more and more people started to, to read it and interact with me. And of course, that gave me more motivation and created momentum for me to keep going. And by this time, I had started to, uh, I I had run many marathons. So I was in in the process of helping some of my friends become marathon runners, or at least get (laughs) their lives physically fit. And so one of the things that I decided to do in uh, yeah, 2012, so yeah, two years ago, I decided that I would blog my way through an, a complete 18-week marathon training cycle. And the other thing that I knew was there are a ton of blogs out there about running. And most of them are very technical or they're just about running. So what I decided to do was tr- 
write my way through a training cycle, but really talk about what's going on in my mind mm-hmm. while I'm running and the decisions that I have to make, you know, because the, running a marathon requires that you make, you know, it, it does take a lot of physical work, but the physical work really is secondary to the mental work. You've got to decide every day to get up and go running. And some days you don't want to do that. So I decided, you know, just like writers need to get up every morning or every evening and and write. The book is not going to get written if you don't make decisions to sit down at your computer and let the words come out of you and not worry about whether or not the words are perfect. So not every run is going to be a perfect run. You're not always going to feel great afterwards, but you, you need to go through this discipline of doing it. So I started writing that and that's really when my my blog took off and it was being read by a lot of other marathon runners uh, who were in agreement with what I was writing and that was very cool. But it really got the attention of just the general population because people were were recognizing the the metaphor that I had then adopted that life is a marathon and that we have to train our minds. We have to make decisions about our lives very much like we have to train for, you know, for physical endurance. And so I got a lot of people who encouraged me to take my, uh, my marathon training blogs and turn them into a book. And so that's where I decided, I, I, first of all, I knew that no publisher is going to be interested in, in my book. Again, the, the, I, the, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I just, you know, I, I'm sitting here and nodding because I relate to everything you say so much. Right. So, you know, I, I even forgot that I have to speak a bit as well. <laughs> and just, you know, since we're, we're going like to the second stage, to, to the book part, before that, I just would like to to go back a bit again, yeah. like 25 years backwards. And okay. I'll tell you why. Because uh, many, many people uh, and many of the listeners as well, I'm sure, had this passion of writing and then they gave it up for a job and for secure income and for family and many different things that life brought so I just want to, since it, it happens so often and since most often it takes everyone to the same unhappy place later on and some later return and some don't, I would like just to, to, to try to see your view. Why do you think you personally, in your, in your case, why did you think you gave up that passion? Well, I, I don't know that I willingly, well, I guess I did make a, a, a decision. At, at the very beginning, um, so when I I'm I'm almost 51 years old. So I was in college in the early 80s. So from 1982 to 1986 were my four years in college, and and something happened in the world that um, our, our kids these days just can't even imagine life without computers, and you know so. So many people who are even listening to this show are are hard pressed to imagine life without computers. But in the early '80s, that's when uh, the personal computer came out. And back then, I was still writing, you know, all of my college papers, regardless of the subject. I was writing them on a typewriter. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the things that most of us got when we graduated from high school, if we didn't already have one, you know, now all of our kids, you know, it's just assumed that we're going to buy them a laptop or an iPad when they go off to college. Well, no, our, our parents brought us, bought us typewriters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, so the, the personal computer came out and, and understand I was an English major and had absolutely no interest in computers whatsoever. None. I did not, you know, I didn't even like people who were computer science majors, <laughs> not the crowd that I hung out with. But I discovered the personal computer and the building that our English department was in set up a, uh, a computer lab in the basement of the building. And they started a program that they called academic computing. And so it was basically computers for non-computer nerds. Mm-hmm. And they were teaching classes like word processing. Of 
which I became immediately enthralled with this idea of, my goodness, I can cut and paste and I can move sentences around and paragraphs around. And the, the advent of the word processor made the life of writers so much easier. And so I threw everything that I was about at that point into learning word processing. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, it came naturally to me. So I did have this natural gift or understanding of word processing and computers. And before I knew it, I was teaching my other English major friends. I, I didn't even take the classes that were offered. Um, I, I just self-taught myself. And you know, I talked to a couple other kids. I talked to a couple other professors who were teaching the classes. And I never enrolled in the classes. I just taught myself. And within about three or four months, I actually got hired by the professor who was teaching the courses to be his academic aide. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I found myself tutoring his students in a class that I had never even uh, taught before. And so I, I, very, I, I got very much into understanding computers and learning all about computers. And I distinctly, I could, had completely forgotten this until about five years ago, about six months before I graduated from college, my writing professor, who I had just tremendous admiration for, called me to his office and he sat me down and he said, Bruce, I'm worried about you. He said, I think that this attraction that you have with the computer is going to be a distraction from you and it's going to draw you away from your true gifts. And, you know, imagine saying that to a, uh, a 21-year-old. You know, 21-year-olds aren't really that open to suggestions like that. And so my immediate attitude was, no, I love writing and I love, I, I love the computers too, but I love it because it makes it so much easier for me to write. So I told him, I said, don't worry about it. I've got this. You don't need to worry about me. Mm-hmm. Well, when I graduated from, from college, I already had a, a reputation of being a, a fairly outgoing person, and I had an understanding of computers. I got a job with IBM right out of college, and they offered me more money than I thought I would ever make as a writer, and so I took the job, mm-hmm. and it and you know because it it was I, I got into computers because of my writing. It was I, I immediately started a career in computers and then in sales and and so it was just sort of this spiral. Well, I did make this decision to to make money, yeah, because because that was attractive to me. I, there probably was I don't remember a, a day where I made the decision. Well, yes, I'm going to take this job with IBM, and I'm no longer going to have the dream of being a writer. Somehow or another, I had still convinced myself that I could do both, and it was just over weeks and months and years that I forgot about the writing. I stopped writing, and. So the words of, of Richard McCann, who, who is now a, a professor in the Masters of Fine Arts program at American University, they, they come back to haunt me now because Richard said, Bruce, I think this is going to be a distraction for you. Yeah. And he was, he was so right. And so now you know, I, I'm no longer 21 years old. I'm, I'm approaching 51 years old now, and I'm just now back to the passion of writing because I got distracted for 30 years. Yeah, well, what you told me kind of reminded me of of something I came upon as a, as a thought just recently. And I was thinking that, you know, any kind of success which is not related to your passion is kind of leads you to different failures eventually. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of, it's strange. It sounds kind of weird, <laughs> but <laughs> but that's what it is. Because I, I often think that, you know, if I wasn't successful in, in my corporate career, I might have not wasted so much time maybe. Um, so yeah exactly it's it's just you know it sounds so familiar you can't imagine and and it's so deceiving too because we you know we we think and and for a while I really did believe that computers and my ability to communicate and to sell 
and to train people. I, I wound up being a, uh, a corporate trainer. I, I traveled all over the United States and Canada um, teaching. I, I got into the web development world, the, the e-commerce boom in the late 90s, and I was very much on the forefront of that. And so I was building e-commerce websites long before e-commerce websites were cool. And, and now it, it's just assumed that everybody has the ability to sell things, and that was not the case in you know, 1997, 98. And so I was really on the forefront of that, and I loved teaching people how to do that. And so I, I've taught at some of the, the biggest corporations in, in the world, let alone America. I, I taught their IT departments how to build websites. And I loved that. And I was very good at that. And it's so easy for us to confuse the things that we are competent at with the things that we're passionate about. Yeah. And, and it really took a lot of introspection on my part to realize that what I have been doing for the last 20, 25 years, I'm really, really good at it. But it's not what I'm really, really passionate about. So what made you leave? Well, well, I, I have to, in, in the interest of full disclosure, I haven't entirely left. I am not a full-time writer and podcaster and, and public speaker and, and life coach. Well, I, I, I probably could be. I still do have my hands. I'm, I'm part owner of a, a software company. I, I started a company 12 years ago, and my business partner and I, the, the business does, does well, And you know, over the last couple of years, he and I are, are growing in different ways. He has a passion other than running a software company. And I have my passion now, which I think is obvious to, to you and everybody, and, and I don't want to be doing it. But we haven't sold the business, and we, we, still, we still manage the business. So I, I, I haven't given it up entirely. But, but emotionally, yeah, I think it's fair to say I've checked out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. so let's go back. I mean, um, you, you kind of explained how you ended up thinking about writing the book because it kind of, uh, it's the further development of your blog, as I presume. So um, once you decided that, okay, I will make a book out of the content I have in the blog, what happened next? What okay, did you do? Well, Well, um, I, I, I set about um, – I'm also one of these guys who um, – I, I guess I'm pretty good at learning, and, and I'm not afraid of technology at all. I think that's, that's obvious, and I do have you – know, I, I, I know a lot of writers who are, who are just not technical, and so they, they write their books, and they hope, and they pray, and, and maybe some of them are actually getting out and doing some legitimate networking and, and public relations, um, but the, the world of self-publishing did not frighten me at all, and mm -hmm. so – So I did um, I, Udemy dot com. I, I learned. Uh, I, I don't know if you know Kathy Presland. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> Kathy is just awesome, and and she, like you, she is also one of those people that I really, you know, I I, I see Kathy as a close personal friend of mine. We have never met face to face. I hope to meet her someday. I hope to meet you someday <laughs> in, in person. But I, I discovered Kathy and her courses on Udemy on how to self-publish. Absolutely. And That's I, an awesome course. I took it myself as well yeah. in the very cool. beginning when I was just starting. Yeah. <laughs> right. and, so, and so that that's um, led me over to, to learning about CreateSpace. And so learning how to, to publish in, in Kindle is is one thing. And then learning how to get your book up on Amazon in, in paperback form on, on create space. I, I took courses there and also courses recommended by, um, by Kathy. I can't for the, I can't pull it off the top of my head right now who, who the course was from, but I'll, I'll find it for you mm -hmm. and you can link it up in the show notes if you want. But anyway, so I, so I learned about that. And so I had a lot of fun tinkering around with the, the technical side of, of how to self-publish. And so I, I took my book. I, I did spend a fair amount of time because you, you really can't take content right off of your blog, throw it into a, a Word document, convert it to Kindle, and, and throw it up there. Yeah, uh, that won't be a book. <laughs> you know, you, right. And 
but a lot of people do that. And for me, I, I didn't think that my book would be successful. It wasn't the way that I, I really wanted it to go. So I did go back through and I did a lot of editing, a lot of rewriting, retelling the story because I didn't want it to just be these isolated chapters. I, I did want it to have a, a cohesive message all the way through. So I so I did edit it, you know, to with the idea of of crafting it into a book. So I so I did that and I self published November 9th, I believe. I, I finished all of the editing on my birthday is November 8th. And so I, I went away for that weekend and I finished the writing part of my book. And then November 9th, I launched right into I, I had been taking the classes for a while, but I started messing around with the Kindle format. And I think I actually published it on Amazon on like November 12th or the 14th, right around there. So we're coming up right at a year now from from the time the book was published. And then I pushed it up to Create Space two weeks later. So maybe mm-hmm. um, maybe December 1st is when uh, when the book went live in paperback. And so, so you did it yourself, the formatting and the editing, everything was everything. done by yourself? Yep. The only thing that I farmed out was the cover and, okay. and actually, I, you know, because I, I build websites, um, I, I have graphic artists who work for me. <laughs> and so, ah, that's, so, that's neat. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and well, uh, you know, I, I'm also really good friends with our chief graphic artist. And so he did it for me for free. Um, but, okay, so you know, that's, I, that's a good I, I did, starting I, point. <laughs> it is. Now, now, I did, you know, I just, for whatever reason, I, I for my next Two books. I I probably am gonna go to a place like Ninety Nine Designs and get a bunch of different um, options for my next books. Uh, I did try the Fiverr route. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> but what came, what came through with Fiverr, uh, I was not at all pleased with, and so I actually showed what I got back from Fiverr to my graphics guy. And he just kind of rolled his eyes and he says, yeah, I can do something a lot better than that. Yeah, because so, usually that's what you get from Fiverr. I mean, you have to be very lucky to end up with someone who can do something decent. Uh, and and it's it's I think it's fair because if you're paying just five bucks, you get whatever is worth five bucks. <laughs> so. So I've gotten, I've found some real value you know, through various things on Fiverr. But yeah, my book cover just wasn't. Yeah, well, my my podcast intro is is from Fiverr, yeah. so and I really exactly. love his voice, and it's done very well. It's fine. In fact, my my podcast cover art is from Fiverr. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, okay, you you put it out there. You launched your book, and I presume you started checking your sales figures like uh-huh. often. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but uh-huh, because that's okay. that's what usually happens, you know. You put right. it out there and you start refreshing the screen to see what's going on. Right. And what did you see then? Oh gosh, um, yeah. Hmm. Let l- let me back up before I answer. What I saw right away was, um, I think, in the world of of a lot of writers, and I don't want this to come off. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to want to sound um, egotistical about it, but yeah, I had success right out of the gate. So, so I was pleased with the downloads and, and the sales right from the start, but um, I I set out with that intention. I, I I had no intention of just putting my book up there and hoping that people would discover it. So, so you need to understand, and my you know, your listeners need to understand what I was doing in the background. Um, I have right now, at the time you and I are talking, I've got 282,000 Twitter followers. Yeah, that, that's very was, impressive. <laughs> yeah, well, thank, thank you. And, it, and it's been great because you know, I, I'm, I'm very proud of, of my Twitter fans and, and my flock because they, they engage with me more so than just about anybody I know on Twitter. I've got the greatest Twitter fans in the world. I really do believe that. And, you know, because they, they retweet me, I, I'm, I'm usually in the top one-tenth, you know, or at least the, the top one percent of all Twitter users for retweets. I, I get retweeted about 
3,000 times a day. I get mentioned wow. you know, in the neighborhood of, of five, five to 6,000 times a day. And it's great. It wasn't always that way. And so one of the things that I did, I, I know a little bit about launching products because of my software background. And I, I spent more time in the very early, in the beginning. I, I, I knew that I would start writing again. And I knew that I would eventually start to write books again. But what was really important to me was the and, – and I don't remember if Michael Hyatt's book, Platform, mm-hmm. um, was, was very helpful to me. I, I, I think I already had the idea that I needed to build a platform first. But I think that the popularity of his book and his podcast – emphasizing the the fact that you know so when you when you get a guy who was president and CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishing for years and years and years and at least in the United States they're 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 one of the big boys in the publishing world when when he says you know as a book publisher that the first thing that they're going to want to know when you drop a, a book proposal on their desk is they're not even going to read it the first thing that they're going to want to do is find out what kind of following do you have? Yeah. Have you have you been promoting your own work? Because the world of publishing is so different now. The world of publishing literally is the mechanics of it. And I can do the mechanics of it myself. You know, so they are no longer the uh, the big promotional or public relations arm of of the world of publishing anymore they they literally will take your book they'll format it for kindle they'll format it for these various they'll they'll format it for print they have their distribution channels to get it into all the bookstores but in in reality when amazon.com is selling more than all of the big major physical store retailers combined why wouldn't you go straight to amazon so so I started building my platform, and so I started engaging with audiences, and about the time I started writing my book, I think I had 17 Twitter followers. But very quickly, I discovered that Twitter was a social media platform that I liked. I liked the speed of Twitter. I liked the interaction. Um, you and I became friends on Twitter, and yeah. I've, I've established <laughs> some great relationships, and so it has grown and grown and grown. So by the time I launched my book, I already knew that I would be able to promote my book through Twitter. I knew that I would be able to promote it through my Facebook page. I also developed a, a because of relationships. Now, you and I weren't friends at the time I launched my book, but I had some pretty big names of other people who are pretty popular on Twitter who I did have a, a very strong relationship with. And I gathered those people together to be part of my launch team. Mm-hmm. So, so part of my releasing the book, you know, the weeks and months before that was sending, you know, advanced reader copies of my book out to those people and getting them to read it and then putting it up on Amazon and getting them to go to Amazon to write reviews and before I ever told anybody that my book was available. So the, the mm-hmm. launch team aspect of it was was vital. And so the day I sent the first tweet out about my book, You Can Go the Distance, is now on Amazon. Please rush over there. And I, you know, I did not do what a lot of writers do where they give it away for free. Um, mm-hmm. But I did. But I did set the price at ninety nine cents. I am going to have a free. Um, you know, the book has never been free, but to celebrate its one year anniversary, I am going to use the Kindle. Um, uh, the Kindle free, Direct. Free days. Yeah. Yeah, the free days. I've never used any days so far, so I'm going to uh, in in the week that marks its one year anniversary. I'm going to give it away for free. But so back to your question, <laughs> you let me ramble, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> And well, no, I mean you're you're sharing valuable information. Yeah. You you kind so, of uh, explained your whole launch strategy, which which is very useful. So I don't dare so, to interrupt. <laughs> so so I, I did have the intention on within the first day or so of being within my within the category running and jogging 
um, it, it was always my intention to launch it in such a way that it would be in the bestsellers list, at least within the top 100. And I think the very first day that the book was live, it climbed up to number 45 or something like that. But then within a day or two, um, it never hit number one. <laughs> I was so frustrated. But there are some amazing marathon books out there. And you, you it's hard to displace um, guys like uh, Bruce McDougall and, and his book, uh, Born to Run. It's mm-hmm. just been – he he owns and occupies the number one position in the running and jogging category. And it's going to take a phenomenal book to knock him off. But I did come up and I was number two and stayed number two for, for several weeks. But, mm-hmm. but the cool thing is that while there are some days, um, in fact, just yesterday, again, it was not in the top 100. Um, it's never gone an entire week where it wasn't on the, the bestsellers list. Yeah, well, that's impressive. That's very impressive. But um, I just would like to, to get your opinion on this. Let's say if we're talking about newbie writers who are just building their platform. So apparently, you know, they, they have a completely different figures of, uh, you know, how many followers they have and how many likes and how many relationships, etc. because they are just starting, let's say. Well, yeah, they're, they're just starting, but, you know, they, they can't compare their start to, to where I am right now, but they could certainly compare their start to where I started. Yeah, exactly. So what my question was, uh, would you advise them to hold off with the launch of their book before they have a a substantial size of the platform and then only, I mean, hold it off for a year or two or whatever it takes and then only launch it later but successfully or they can do it parallel? What do you suggest? I really am going to suggest that they hold off. I, I would. If, if for no other reason, I've, I, I know a lot of writers who are writing their book and they're starting to think about their platform, but the problem is that they are the only person who has ever seen the content of their book. They have not shared it with anybody. Mm-hmm. We writers are we writers are so 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 private. We don't want anybody to see our stuff. And then when we put it out there, when we don't sell 100,000 copies in the first day, we're crushed. But the problem is that we never shared it with anybody, and so we never got any feedback. And so one of the advantages of the fact that my the, the content for my book was publicly available, you know, while I had to rewrite it and recraft it, the content was ultimately the same. So I already knew that people were resonating with what I was writing. They were leaving comments on my blog. They were saying the parts that they agreed with, and more importantly, they were telling me the parts that they disagreed with or that they didn't like the way I expressed it. Mm -hmm. And I used that feedback to go back and change what I wrote. And so I think as writers, we tend to – we. We're terrified of the advice because we we take it so personally. When somebody says, when when somebody says, Bruce, I I think that you could say that just a little bit differently. We all we hear is, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's not the case. And so you you have to realize that just about everybody in the world wants you to succeed. You know, we we have this paranoia that the world is out to get us and and cause us to fail when it's exactly the opposite. All of our family and friends and and the world in general is actually out to help us really succeed. And they can't do it if we haven't shown everybody what we're starting to work on. And so I would first of all, yes, be building your your Facebook base, be building your your Twitter following. And the way that you can start to do that is is post. If you don't have a blog, then take sections. You know, everybody we, we tend to write now in in sound bites, and and we we hear a phrase and we go, ooh, that's tweetable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so take the tweetable parts of your content and tweet them, and see what comments you get back. See, do do people? 
if somebody retweets it, it's because they like it and they agree with it. And so, you know, I, I, I disagree with so many people who put in their, their Twitter profile that says a retweet does not equal an endorsement. It absolutely does. Yeah. If, if I retweet somebody, it's an endorsement because I agree with it. I may not necessarily endorse the, uh, the person who's saying it, you know, I actually tweet some, Adolf Hitler, for example, he said some really tweetable things. <laughs> you know, do I agree with him and, and what he did to the world? No, absolutely not. But the, the message for that particular thing that he said is, is right on target. So put your content out there so that people are at least giving you feedback. Um, and, and that way you know yeah. in, in advance whether or not you, know, you, you have no idea whether or not your book is going to be successful if you are the only person who has ever seen your work. And how long do you think it will take to get a substantial platform to be able to launch a book? Well, you can do that a couple different ways. I don't think that it necessarily has to be that you have to have a substantial platform. But what I think it's important for you to do is to befriend some people. With you, have, for example. <laughs> sure, sure. And, I, and I've participated in a ton of book launches, partly just because I love it. I love the excitement of a book launch. And I really enjoy promoting other writers because I, I felt the excitement when other writers and other social media people who I respected agreed to be part of my launch team and to see them telling their flock of followers about my book is a, is a great thing. So I would, I would focus on building your platform, but also really start to think about your launch team. And I think that your launch team should probably be no less than 20 people. Mm-hmm. So make sure that they, the people on your launch team, have read your book. Maybe not all of the book, but you've at least given the entire book to them. I don't read all of the books that I get. I, I get requests to be on launch teams or requests to write book reviews now. Um, and I don't read all the books from cover to cover. I skim them. I look at the, the table of contents. First of all, you don't even approach me about a book if – your very first tweet to me is, hey, would you please review my book? And I, and I didn't even know you were following me and you haven't engaged with me in, in any, you know, you'd be surprised how many people, the very first interaction that I have with them are, you know, would you help me promote my book or would you buy my book? You know? Yeah, well, yeah. We don't, it's we common. don't have a relationship. Yeah, I know. It's common uh, mistake and it, it, they do it very often. And very often you follow someone on Twitter and you immediately get a direct response which, which says, please check out, I don't know, whatever. And, and then you immediately unfollow this person because <laughs> that, that's enough. Yeah, so, so I would encourage people to certainly the, the more followers that you can have, um, if you are even you – know, and this is for the, the listeners, not for you because I know you would never, ever do it. Never, ever, ever buy followers. You know, you're you're, you're going to see a lot of people on, on Twitter and yeah, on Facebook those, you know, and, yeah. and so many people on Fiverr who will say, you know, for five bucks, I'll guarantee you 10,000 Twitter followers. Do not do it. Do not. You want real people. Yeah, who, those followers who, won't buy your book anyway, no. so you don't need them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it doesn't take if, – if you're – ultimate goal is to land a, a real publishing gig, you know, a, or to land a contract with a real publisher rather than self-publishing, it is not going to take them more than 30 seconds to go to your Twitter profile or your Facebook profile and say, oh, yeah, look at him. He's got 100,000 Twitter followers, but I don't see anybody retweeting him. I don't see any, you know, because you can look through these streams of your tweets and replies. Yeah. And it doesn't take a rocket science or you know, a great investigative you know, detective to figure out that your audience is fake. Okay. So, so don't do it. Really engage with your people. Get feedback from your people. 
um, if they love your book, they're going to tell you that they love your book. And even if they love your book, you want them to tell you what's wrong with your book because you want to, you know, when somebody says, Bruce, I, I don't like the way you did that. What I've had to train my brain is they're not saying, Bruce, I don't like you as a human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, exactly. and, we, and we hear that. What they're saying is, Bruce, I think that if you change this or even if you drop this, your book will be a better product. And so you have to really train yourself to see criticism as somebody's attempt to make you more successful. Yeah, absolutely. So if you if you would wrap up and come up with like, you know, just few points which are very crucial and important for writer success, what those points would be? Well, first of all, yeah, I, I think most of the people who are listening to your show, they are writers. Um, they, they already understand the craft and the discipline of writing. It is very much like running a marathon. You cannot just decide today I'm going to be a marathon runner and go out and try to run 26 miles without doing serious harm to your body, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it takes daily discipline. Do I, do I work on my books absolutely every single day? No, but I am writing something every single day. I journal. Um, I think that that is so important. Um, I, I used to do it in college and that was one of the things that, that I gave up. And so I, I'm back now into journaling and I've, um, I've been doing it now for a couple of years, but I'm really into it now. I've gone the last 120, I think 127 days without missing a day of journaling. And it's, I get up every single morning and I just write. And I, I, a lot of it is just mechanical. Here's what I did today. Here's what I want to do today. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. Sometimes I'll do what's called stream of consciousness journaling, where I literally, I'll just open up a notepad file and I have no intention of even saving it. I'll open up my computer, whether it's in Microsoft Word or, you know, or just notepad or, or whatever, and I will just type for 15 minutes whatever comes into my brain. And I'll often even close my eyes so that I'm not attempted to press backspace and correct spelling. You know, just learning to let your brain and your fingers synchronize with each other so that what you're, what you're thinking is flowing out. Um, so that's, I think that's really important is the daily discipline of writing something, mm -hmm. but also, but always have this goal of, you know, is this getting me closer to my, my book being done? So I, I think that's really important as a writer. And, and also, that I, I think that a lot of it has to do with perceiving yourself. And, and this is really the space that I'm in right now. My podcast has, is only uh, three weeks old now. And it's, uh, as of this morning, it was number two on iTunes this morning, which just blows my mind because I, I talk about self-esteem and, and self-worth and, and how you your your attitude and your intention so for me when i launched the book my intention was to launch it with the goal of it being a uh, a bestseller i didn't just put it out there and then sit in my bedroom and constantly hit refresh to see who was browsing it you know i everything that i did was very intentional mm -hmm. yeah. so so that's the other piece of it so yeah, and just don't be afraid if you are if you don't think that you're going to go the traditional publishing route, which is really really hard to do. Um, look into self-publishing; it's a lot easier than you think it is. And you know, check out people like Kathy Kathy Presland, and you know, learn about how to take your book and convert it to Kindle format or these other e-reader e formats, it's a lot easier or at least find somebody, you know, Kathy, you know, Kathy runs a, a side, you know, coaching business. And so you can hire Kathy to take your document and she'll work with you on, on how to do it. There are lots of other self-publishing coaches out there. There are lots of courses that you can take. Yeah. So don't, don't let that hold you back. So, so be about the creation of your work. Be about the, the building of your, your platform 
because you really do, you know, there, there's nothing more frustrating than to hit type the words the end at the end of your book and then have absolutely nobody to share it with. Yeah, totally agree. Well, thank you very much, Bruce, for coming over. Yeah. We had a really interesting conversation and uh, <laughs> we covered much more than the writing and the books. So we, and that's we... what I love about your show. I, I love that you just let it go wherever the conversation was meant to go and you do a great job. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, we covered actually a lot about life and, you know, writers write about life and, and life kind of brings us different stories, which we later on write down. So it's, it's very important, too. And your life story was quite inspirational as well. So why not? I mean, it's, it's, um, it brings a positive vibe to the show as well. Well, take care. Have a nice day. Uh, thanks a lot for spending this hour with my listeners. And um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. Well, that was it for today. Thank you very much for listening to me and to Bruce Van Horn for the whole hour. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Please don't forget to get your free book, which is waiting for you at the www.annialexander.com slash free. And I'll meet you in the next episode where we will have yet another inspiring and encouraging interview. Take care and keep on writing. <laughs>